Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Pastor Tim, and thank you, Tyler. This is my um, first time using a uh, wireless mic. I kind of feel like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights when he's being interviewed, and he's like, I just, I don't know what to do with my hands, so be patient with me today. (laughs) Um, My name is Sarana. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting before, um, as Pastor Tim said, I'm the youth pastor here at C3 Calgary. I'm also uh, Pastor Lauren and Kelly's assistant, and I've been doing that for the last three years. Uh, My heart is heavy this morning and this week for um, our staff and uh, some of our team members, is my sound okay there, who um, have lost people this week, and uh, particularly for Pastor Lauren and Kelly as they're out in Nipawin, um, being with family, which is wonderful, so... I know they would really appreciate your continued prayers and encouragement. You can send them a send them a message. Moving my mic down. Better? Beauty. I was thinking about this um, a couple weeks ago, and as I was preparing, um, a few years ago, I uh, had just come on staff here, and I had a really bad bronchitis. And I had, I had physically lost my voice. And um, it's only happened to me like once or twice. And I came in to meet with Pastor Lauren and Kelly. And of course, I was physically sick. And I didn't say this out loud at the time, but I also felt this like spiritual heaviness on my chest that I couldn't really explain. This pressure, I almost felt like I was being suffocated beyond just physically losing my voice. And Pastor Lauren put his hands on my shoulders, and he prayed for me that day in his office and prayed, you know, that I would get my voice back physically. And sure enough, a couple days later, I did get my voice back. But I've been on this journey for the last few years where I've been finding my, my voice. And not just, you know, on the mic, but as a woman, as a daughter of this house. And if you've been in this church long enough, you... Uh, would have heard Pastor Lauren say, it's when you're with your people that you find your purpose. And that has been a reality for me. And aside from my salvation, deciding to plant myself in the local church has been one of the best decisions I've ever made for myself. Not because it has anything to do with God loving me more or less But the fruit that's come from my life, from deciding to plant myself in the house of God, has been one of my greatest um, decisions. And if there's any advice that I could give to the next generation, when the temptation is greater than ever, then to just stay home and listen to a podcast is to come to church and be in community and surround yourself with people. And that has genuinely changed my life. I'm not talking about working at the church. I'm just talking about being planted in the local church. 
Um, so we've been in a, in a series this summer, a hot topic series, and we've hit some hot topics to say the least. If you've missed um, some Sundays, I highly encourage you to go back and watch them. I'm following last Sunday, Pastor Lauren talking about aliens and UFOs. So tough one to follow. I thought maybe my first Sunday preaching and talk about, you know, friendship or something. But today, the title of my message is Doubt, Deconstruction, and Dealing with Offense. You might be wondering, what on earth is deconstruction? Well, we will talk about that in just a moment. It's going to be a great Sunday. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. I was thinking maybe instead of reading today, I would get Pastor Tim to come up and do like an interpretive um, skit. I'm just kidding, Pastor Tim. We're starting in verse 54, and so Jesus has already begun his public ministry at this point. He has been healing, he's been preaching, he's been out with the people, and at this point he's returning to his hometown. Okay, can, can I leave this on my face? Okay. So Jesus is returning to his hometown of Nazareth. So verse 54, it says, when he taught there in the synagogue... He's back in Nazareth. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for this day. God, we're here for no other reason than to meet with you, God. We thank you that the heavens are open, that your Holy Spirit is present God, we are setting aside our distractions. We're setting aside our opinions today to meet with the God of heaven. I thank you that you have a personal word for each person here, that you know exactly the season of life that each is walking through today. I thank you that you see broken hearts. I thank you that you're celebrating with those who are celebrating and weeping with those who are weeping. And we ask, God, that you would speak to us through your word today. Make us more like you. And everybody said, amen. Well, I grew up in a very small town, you may have heard of it, called Jasper National Park. Population 5,000, very, very small, one street light. Not much going on, but it is beautiful. Um, I had a great childhood, great upbringing. I did not grow up in the church or in a Christian household going to church. I'm, I'm youth pastoring now, but I, I never went to youth group. I never got to do those things. And uh, I was an only child. And it was after my mom and dad split up when I was eight that my dad met Jesus, got saved. And I remember um, my mom saying to me, like, I have a distinct memory. And she said, just so you know, your dad is religious now. And I was like, oh, gosh, like, what does that mean? And I was young, so I would go and visit him sometimes on the weekend. He was living in Red Deer, and I went to church a few times. I remember seeing people put, put their hands up in this 
contemporary sort of church. I really had no point of reference for what church was. And like looking up, I'm like, what's everybody reaching for up there? Like I really just didn't know it was all new to me. But I do remember experiencing the presence of Jesus. And although mentally I didn't quite understand everything that was going on at the time, but I had a real experience with the presence of Jesus that marked me and changed me forever. It wasn't until later on in my early adult life, I moved to Los Angeles, California, which actually two of my really good girlfriends are here today, and I met them in Los Angeles too. You may have heard me talk about this before, but we went to a program called the Dream Center Leadership School, and it's a, um, an outreach ministry slash Bible college sort of a program right in inner city LA. I moved there. I had I'd never really, really even read my Bible before, and I was um, given these two roommates from the Bible Belt of Missouri, and I, they were, like, sitting there with their big Bibles, and I remember thinking, like, what am I doing here? I don't fit in. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, and um, one specific moment, we went into the church called Angel's Temple that's affiliated with the Dream Center. I went into a service, and this, for me, was a marking moment in my faith, so there's men who are in, men and women who are in recovery at the Dream Center, recovering from drugs and alcohol. So they're on the campus that we are at as students. And I remember going to the church service for the first time there. And they're all wearing their black shirts. They're in recovery. They're going to church as a part of their, their recovery program. And we're in worship. It was the first song. And I looked to my left and I saw all of these men in recovery, like convicts, I'm telling you, like covered in tattoos. These guys are court-ordered there for probably some of the worst crimes you could possibly imagine. And I looked over, and almost all of them had their hands up in worship, bawling. And it literally took my breath away. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I could ever believe that there isn't a God after seeing this. And you could just see, like, the presence of God touching them and changing them. And there's so many stories I could tell from that season of my life, but it really did um, change me. We had one class towards the end of my second year as a student. It was a leadership-focused class. And my mentor at the time, my very first Christian mentor, Kelly Bradley, was teaching it. And she said two things. This is right before we're all going to go back to our hometowns. She said, if you want to succeed as a leader whether you're a pastor, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you have your own business. Remember these two things, and you're golden. I was like, all right, give it to me. She's like, one, always be teachable. Okay? Number two, don't be easily offended. I remember thinking, easy. I don't get offended at anything. Turns out the second one was a little bit harder, and as, as I explained, I was new to the church world, and it turns out that church is not just a place where everyone agrees and gets along all the time. Who would have thought? We're talking about offense today, and it's heavy on my heart and is actually a topic that I've been really passionate about for the last couple years and a word that God's been stirring in my heart for a few reasons, but mostly because... I've seen what offense has stolen from people, and I've seen what it's tried to steal from my life. And so I'm excited to talk about it today. Offenses and being offended is really nothing new, but would you agree with me that the temptation to get offended 
is probably greater than ever. We're always walking on eggshells. We don't want to say the wrong thing. Don't upset anyone. God forbid we have a different perspective than somebody else. Sometimes we get even offended on behalf of somebody else. When I was living in L.A., my best friend at the time, her name was Ruby, uh, she was seeing this guy, and he ended up breaking her heart. And I was just not going to have it. And I remember she was telling me, and I was like, my blood was boiling. And I was like, mm-mm, not happy. I thought, what can I do? I, like, I wanted to take things into my, own ha- into my own hands. My heart was breaking for my friend. She was really sad. We were about 20 at the time. And um, so we go to church that Sunday morning, and I see the guy. And he's in one of the pews or one of the rows at church. I'm like, this is my chance. And there's a family on one side of his row that's kind of blocking him in, so he would have had to go out the other side of the row. And so, of course, I go. I put my leg up on the chair, and I block him in to the row. I'm thinking, this guy has no way out than to come face to face with me. And I just, like, lay into him. I'm not even really sure what I said, but I was like, if I ever see your face, I don't actually, like, I don't know what I would have threatened him with. I was, like, 20 years old. And da 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 don't ever want to see your face again. And he was like, yeah. And he like nodded. And I was feeling like a hero. I remember leaving that conversation and turns out didn't really fix her broken heart. And I remember God saying to me after that, I didn't really ask you to do that. I was like, But offense, it can grip you. It can cause you to lash out and act on somebody else's behalf. And oftentimes it's for good reason. We don't always go about it the right way. Offense is a spirit. And so what does the spirit of offense come to bring in your life? What is its mission? So the Bible says that Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Offense comes to sabotage your friendships, to isolate you from community, to harden your heart, to steal your joy and your God-given destiny. And I honestly believe that offense is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against us and one of the sneakiest as followers of Jesus. And I want to speak to some people today who maybe you feel like you're even at a crossroads in your faith. And you, you wrestled with some stuff internally. And you haven't really worked it out. And you're really not sure if what you believe. We're going into a brand new season. Fall is around the corner. And I believe that there is an opportunity today. And God wants to set some people free from offenses this morning. The people in Matthew chapter 13 were also at a crossroads who were offended by Jesus. They could either get offended, or they could take Jesus and accept him for who he was at his word. So what is deconstruction? I recently just read this book. It's called After Doubt by Dr. A.J. Swoboda, who's actually one of the guest speakers at our C3 Canada conference in October. Shameless plug, October 1st. It's an online conference. And he wrote this book, uh, which focuses primarily on doubt and deconstruction. So if that's a topic that interests you at all, you want to know more, I highly, highly recommend this book. But he defines deconstruction as the dismantling or tearing down of anything that's been constructed. 
It's not a Christian term. It could apply to banking, the deconstruction in a banking system. My roommate Emily here is in school to be an architect. It could be the deconstruction of an architectural structure. It could be deconstructing a Lego castle that a little kid built. But theological deconstruction is what we're talking about today, is the process of dismantling one's accepted beliefs. It said that nearly 60% of high school students, after they graduate, deconstruct. Which doesn't always imply walking away from one's faith. Sometimes there is a reconstruction period after a season of skepticism where a person falls more in love with Jesus than they, they ever have before. Sometimes that is not the case. And I would be lying if I said that didn't scare me a little bit. As a youth pastor, like 60%? You're telling me 60% of young people leave their home and go off to college or university and they begin to, to deconstruct or unravel their faith? It makes me a little bit nervous. My greatest desire and prayer as a youth pastor is not to have the coolest, most flashy service but it's that the young people in this church would graduate high school and leave this place so fiercely in love with Jesus and with a foundation in the word and a heart for the local church that is unshakable. And that is not something that I nor you as parents or anybody can really manufacture. They need an encounter with the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. So I'm not scared by those statistics. I really believe that there is a revival happening in the next generation of young people. So what does deconstruction have to do with offense? You may ask. Why would a person deconstruct? Well, some of the most popular reasons would be a change of environment. As we talked about, someone goes off to college, they're out of their place of origin, their family of origin, their local churches, they're in, um, have a change of social and peer influence. Could be because of a loss or a death and they can't reconcile. Why, why would that happen? And so it begins this process of deconstruction or faith unraveling. But another huge reason why people begin to deconstruct is because of offenses. It's a really scary place to be in when you're questioning your faith and you're wrestling with doubts. I know I've been there personally. And it's those doubts that often turn into offenses. But thank goodness, here's the good news, that God doesn't disqualify us based on our doubts. The church and our community is actually meant to be a place where we bring our doubts and our questions, we might not always get the answer we're looking for, have a perfect picture, but we bring them into the context of community. We have those conversations. We get shoulder to shoulder with people. But instead, what typically happen, happens is people retreat and they isolate, and we don't know what to do with our questions and our doubts. We are all susceptible to offense, every single one of us, myself included. We all have doubts and questions and go through different seasons of wrestling with our faith. And if you've been offended before, buckle up, because you'll probably be offended again. <laughs> it 
it's very easy to feel justified in our offenses. And listen, there are very real things that happen and hurts. And I'm talking particularly in the context of church community here. And I don't want to discount those or diminish them. Very real pain and very real hurt that people have went through. Whether it's yourself personally or someone you know or a story you've read about. But let's not give the enemy a bigger playing field than he already has. Living out of and with undealt with offenses will only steal from you and from me. And I don't know about you, but I want to live unoffended. That when offenses come, and they will, that I have practical tools and I can allow the Holy Spirit to deal with those things in me in the moment so I don't stay offended, right? So if you're taking notes today, how to live unoffended. Point number one, we have a question. Am I a builder or am I a critic? It is a lot easier to be a critic than to be a builder. It's very easy to be the person sitting with your arms crossed in church and criticizing rather than building, right? To be a builder doesn't imply or mean being unaware or naive or not acknowledging what's going on or living in this false Christian-y magic land where you just plug your ears at every bad thing going around or happening in the world. Jesus says to Peter, it's on this rock I will build my church. And I know that the greatest opportunity and invitation that I will ever have is to be a part of building God's church here on earth. But it's an invitation. It's not an obligation. Building his kingdom, building his church. It's a choice that we all get to make, not just once, but again and again, every day. I want to read a story um, from the, the book that I read on doubt that really stood out to me. And the author of this book is a, he's a pastor, he's a university teacher, he teaches the Bible, that's what he does. But he actually went through a deconstruction season himself, which is really interesting. He says this, he says, at the tail end of my deconstruction journey, I visited an African Muslim nation on a cultural exchange. When we arrived, our team was told that there were only 25 known Christians in the city of one million where we were staying. Can you imagine? 25. When we arrived, our team was told that there were, sorry, our host told us that there were these radical Christians who experienced extreme poverty, persecution, and social shaming for following Jesus, shared one Bible and a broken guitar, and met secretly under cover of night. With their half-broken guitar, they sang simple songs to Jesus and loved one another, giving their lives for the gospel. As a leader on the trip, I asked if we could meet these underground African Christians. And I was so excited to see people loving God in their element. I was grieved when they told us we couldn't meet with them. The reason was simple. They didn't want our consumerist, American-centric enlightenment faith to rub off on the African Christians. Our form of faith, they told us, was toxic for African Christians. They didn't want our enlightenment to rub off on them. That utterly broke me. 
That night, under the dark of the Tuzinian sky, I lay there thinking about the 25 Christians who were awake. Praying, hoping, reading, and singing quietly, their hope was in Jesus and nothing else. That experience ruined me. All my critiques and challenges to Christianity were actually the enemy of those Christians in Africa. I did not come home the same, and I found myself back in the seminary classroom where we'd been philosophizing about all our interesting critiques of the problematic elements of Christianity and the Bible. But I couldn't return the same ways. He says, I couldn't forget those 25 Christians who were literally dying so they could gather and read the very book that I was being paid to deconstruct in the classroom. And then he says this, he says, I'm much less interested today in critiquing the faith than I am in actually having it. Today I see so many around me deconstruct their faith, but with little humility or wisdom from those who have gone before them. Do I wanna spend my time here on earth critiquing God's church? Or do I wanna be a builder? Point number two, do I adjust scripture based on my own preferences or am I allowing God's word to adjust me? So we've established that deconstruction is the dismantling of anything that has been constructed. People deconstructing is really nothing new in itself, but American slave owners actually used to have these things called slave Bibles. They were their own renditions of the Bible. They actually cut out the entire book of Exodus and anything in the Bible that alludes to freedom from slavery. So they wanted to keep the slaves spiritually inspired, you know, motivated to keep working, but they didn't want them to get a taste of the God who came to set them free from slavery. And you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, like how dare they edit the Bible? but we do it all the time, me and you. We pick the the parts of the Bible that we like, that suit our preferences, that suit our lifestyle, that we agree with, that make us feel warm and fuzzy. These slaves needed a whole perspective and encounter and revelation of who God was. They needed the whole Bible, just like we need the whole Bible. We need the whole thing. So why were the people in Jesus's hometown so offended when he came back? Like, I don't know if you ever get secondhand embarrassment, but I get it like all the time. I think I get more embarrassed for other people sometimes. I'm like sweating on someone else's behalf more than I get embarrassed myself. But I read that and I'm like, why were you offended? Like, don't you know that Jesus, the son of God, is in your midst? Why are you so bothered? They didn't deny his obvious power. They recognized him for what it, who, he, who he is and what he was doing. But they were offended that someone who came from among them, from their own people, would have the power that he had. Jesus didn't fit their idea of who they expected him to be. They didn't fit, he didn't fit their molds. Does it sound familiar? Our assumptions and our prejudices can blind us to truth. And many people, myself included, we think we have Jesus figured out. But when we're presented with the truth, we're offended. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, now, talking about here on earth, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, talking about heaven in eternity, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows completely. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, while we are here on earth as human beings, we will all only know in part. We all only have a fractured, one-sided perspective and opinion of the world around us. I only see one thing through my own lens, through my own experiences, my own prejudices. And God actually designed it that way. Thank God that God did not create me to know everything. He depended me, he created me to lean on him and be in full dependency on him. So rather than creating my own version of Christianity based on my limited perspective, we actually have an opportunity to lay down our opinions and our preferences at the foot of the cross and be transformed by God's word. Am I just picking the parts of Jesus in the Bible that I prefer? Or am I actually allowing God's word to shape, correct, convict, bring truth in love? Point number three and my final point today What causes an offense in me is often an opportunity for God to bring healing. I was at a women's conference, and this was probably a couple of years after I had really decided to follow Jesus for myself, and this was in the States. And I go into this women's conference, and I was already offended just walking in the door, okay? There was no other young adults my age Everyone was like older. I was like, and then I walked into the main auditorium. All these ladies, you know how women's conferences can get sometimes. They're just like all crying together and like consoling each other. And I'm like, if you know my personality, I'm not, I don't like all the mushy mush emotions all the time. So I'm just like, oh, I'm giving a big eye roll walking in the auditorium. And the woman is teaching. We go into our first session on the prophetic, on giving words of knowledge, which I was already uncomfortable with. And she says, I want you, this has really happened. I want you to turn around and give a word to the person behind you. I'm like, you are going to have to pry my mouth open with the jaws of life if you want me to say anything. Uh Uh-uh. And the lady in front of me turns around, gives me a word. I said, thank you so much. (laughs) I turn around. I just introduce myself. I said, Lord, do you have a word for this person? And sure enough, God gave me a word for the person. And I told the lady this word. I don't even know. Like, I had the most evil look on my face. I don't know if she received it or not, but I did reluctantly. (laughs) I share that story to say that having preferences is actually not a bad thing. Preferences are not bad. There's lots of churches and ministries and even, you know, friend groups and social 
uh, environments that I connect with more than others. But it's when our preferences actually stop us from receiving what God has for us that it becomes a problem. And I didn't realize this until years later in counseling. But that environment for me actually brought up some fear and some trauma that I hadn't dealt with. When I, came, when I first came to know the Lord, I, I and along with my family, went through an experience with a person who actually didn't represent Jesus very well. And it caused some pain and some wounding in me. And I never really forgave that person or forgave that person. And so being in, an, in this environment that I perceived to be hyper-spiritual, it actually just created fear in me and typically what we don't understand, we often fear. Jesus can handle our questions. He actually creates space for them. What he doesn't create space for is when we approach him with critical skepticism. And when we approach God and the Bible to trap, to trap Jesus, to trap somebody, I promise you, you will never find what you're looking for. What causes an offense in you is often an opportunity for God to bring healing. I don't know if you've ever had a bruise somewhere on your body that you didn't know was there. And it's not until someone or you like poke it and you're like, oh my gosh, where did I get this bruise from? I didn't even know it was there. I don't even remember it happening. Offenses can be like that sometimes. It's not until somebody pokes it for some reason you're like, oh, why, why did what that person say bother me so much? Why am I so angry? Maybe it's from your pastor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's just like someone you randomly meet and you just instantly feel offended just talking to them. Something that I do that's really practical in those moments where I feel like, oh, that just rubbed me the wrong way. I feel feel angry. Is I stop and I'll say, okay, Lord, why did what that person say make me so angry or hurt me? Is there something going on in my heart that you wanna bring healing to? And it may, he may show you right away. It may take some time. Or maybe it's just God putting his finger on something, a mindset, a perspective, a way of thinking that you may not even know is actually damaging and not in line with God and who he says that he is. But why would God put his finger on something that would hurt me. Well, because he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. And maybe you're here today and you feel like, I know I already feel like the Holy Spirit is bringing up something in my heart. Maybe it's a previous wound. Maybe it's someone you need to forgive. 
but you felt that offense and that bitterness kind of set in and creep into your life and, and, and it's affecting other areas, other relationships. Can I tell you today that you don't have to continue living that way? That God actually has more for you. And he's not upset with you, but there's an invitation to say, God, what's going on in my heart today? Is there something that you want to bring healing to? So we're going to go back to a worship song in a moment here, but I want to pray for two groups of people today. The first is, like I said, maybe you're here and you feel like God's putting his finger on something in your heart. And maybe you don't have a full understanding or a full picture or a a total knowledge of what it is or what's going on and and that's okay. But I believe by just responding, God can start that, that healing process in you. And sometimes it's a long one, sometimes it's a shorter one, but sometimes he does ask us to take a step of faith and respond so he can begin to heal those parts of your heart. So I'm just gonna invite everyone to close their eyes for a moment. And maybe even take a second and say, Lord, is there some is there an offense in me that's unhealed? And I'm living my life through the lens of offense. If that's you today and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart or putting his finger on something. I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up. Awesome. It's great. Thank you for being brave. The second group of people I wanna pray for today is you're, you're here and you're listening and you're like, live my life through the lens of offense. I want to live unoffended. Because let me tell you, your life is too precious, too valuable to be derailed by offense. The enemy has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus says, I've come to give life in abundance. So if you're here today and you want to make a decision, a commitment to say, Lord, give me your eyes to see and your ears to hear so that when offense comes and hurt happens, I can in the moment stop and say, God, what's going on here? What do you want to heal in me? God, my life is too precious to live under the chokeholds of offense. If that's you today and you wanna make that commitment, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand up. Thank you. So God, we thank you today that your spirit is in this place. Only you know the state of every heart, every relationship, And I just feel just the the tenderness and the softness of the heart of God. Not in anger saying, figure it out, 
but my son, my daughter. I love you so much and I don't want you to live this way anymore. So Holy Spirit, I pray for those who bravely put their hand up this morning and even for those who did not, who are living or carrying an offense. I'm asking God that you would come and do what only you can do, bring healing that only you can bring and set people free today in this place. And God, for those who are making a decision and a commitment today to say, I wanna live unoffended. God, that you would give them your eyes to see and your ears to hear. That our war is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. People are not the enemy. I pray that you would empower them, give them your strength. Empower them with your Holy Spirit so they can walk unoffended as sons and daughters of the Most High King. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing one more song here and I just invite you to take the next few moments with the Lord. Worship Him, thank Him. We're celebrating today the goodness of God and freedom from offense. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.